And happy Mother's Day to all the moms, even the stepmoms, the adoptive moms, the mentor moms, because I had a lot of women in my life that influenced me because I ran away from home a couple times. And I always could run away to places where the women could cook. Hallelujah. So they gave me this great ERT guy. This has been so awesome. You guys at the bridge, y'all have got it together. And they told me, they said, now if you need anything, water, anything, this guy's going to follow you around. He'll help you out. So I thought I would make him panic a little bit. <laughs> we were sitting there, and I told him, I said, um, I have got a problem. He said, what is it, Miss Beverly? I said, I got a hole in my pantyhose. I need you to go down to Walmart and run get me a pair of pantyhose and bring them right back. He was sweating. Don't worry, brother, I ain't even got on pantyhose. I just wanted to see you, see your expression. <laughs> but I hope you are in for a treat. I want you to know some things about myself. I am teetotally in love with my Jesus. And I am teetotally in love with my husband, and it hasn't always been that way. And I'll share that with you a little bit later. But I have two kids, two wonderful kids. And my dream when I was growing up was to be, my one and only dream was to be the Wayne County Fire Princess. <laughs> to be the queen of the fair. I even went so far, I entered that Fire Princess pageant, and I was third runner-up. But I wrote the coolest song, and I know we got a lot of firemen in here and first response teams and all that, and um, if you want to hear it, you know, just get with me after the service. <laughs> oh, what the hey, Pharaoh ain't here. Mr. Fireman, while you are near, we'll never worry and we'll never fear. We know you're only a phone call away. We know you're on the job night and day, Mr. Fireman. Remember the day she used her curling iron and went on her way. She didn't realize that it was still on. And then it burst in flames while she was gone. Mr. Fireman, always prepare. You got the call from a neighbor who cared. Her house was saved, her poochie too. Mr. Fireman, hats off to you. Alrighty. That's all right. If nobody else didn't like it, sister, you got blessed, didn't you? She sure did. Woo. I have two kids. Tyler is 15 and Macy is 10. Now, I'll not lie to you. When they were born, I thought, as long as they got their 10 fingers and 10 toes, whew, we don't worry anymore. I am finding when he turned 14 that we got a precious gift that came along with that age. It was called an attitude. Um, he got that from his daddy, of course. But um, it's just speaking. But Tyler is 15, Macy is 10. Tyler likes his um, fries from Bojangles, he likes the seasoning on there. Macy is 10, and she likes her fries from McDonald's. So the other day, I picked them up, and I said, I know I'm one of these moms, and you guys really think I don't have it together. I said, this week, this week, I promise you, we're going to eat a vegetable. <laughs> Today is just not the day. We need to go forget fries. That is a potato, for those of you who don't know. That is a vegetable. 
Macy says, Mom, I'll take them from McDonald's. Tyler says, no, we won't. We'll take them from Bojangles. Well, I'll be honest with you, I will not lie, I was very upset. My flesh took over. I was a little angry because I wanted my fries from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so I had an attitude and I was driving them. And I said, I'll tell you what. Now I know none of you moms and dads at the bridge act this way, okay? But I said, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna take you to your nana's and drop you off and I will get the fries. So I did just that. And in the meantime, this is good to you, honey, isn't it? You go right ahead and snort, honey. It's all biblical. <laughs> but in the meantime, I get a text. My phone went ding. And I looked down. I had pulled over out of my mother-in-law's driveway, and it was a minister. I was mad as fire with my kids, of course, and I dropped them off. Miss Weeks. We would love to have you come to speak to our church. I text him back, glory be to God. <laughs> yes, I am the woman to come to your church. I would love to come and fellowship and worship at your church with your people. I am your girl. So anyway, I drove, and I drove to Bojangles. I had left McDonald's, got Macy's fries, drove to Bojangles, got in the line, and I'm texting the minister back not paying attention, you know how you pull up. I'm like, is she going to take my order? Is she going to take my order? Bless God, pastor, it's a privilege to come to your church. It really is. Finally, the flesh took over, and I'm like, put the phone in the seat, and I said, ma'am, are you going to take my order, or do I have to go back to McDonald's to get my fries? And I looked out the left-hand side of the window, and no lie, I had pulled up to the trash can. <laughs> what made it even worse was the couple that was sitting behind me, and they were laughing like crazy. They did not even blow the horn. I don't even know what they were thinking. And even worse, is when I went to that church to speak. That couple was there. Ooh, I was so embarrassed. If I had had a Just Because card, I would have pulled it out and bought their fries. But anyway, praise God. I'm so totally glad to be with you here today. I say all that to you to tell you that I'm just real. I'm just a broken person. I'm just a broken person. I remember many, many years ago, my marriage was struggling. Our priorities had gotten so out of line, if it makes any sense to any of you, we were merely living together as roommates. There were kids, there were PTA, there were jobs trying to soar into your careers. And I remember my husband came to me, it was on a Saturday. And he was standing in, at the stoop, and he was barefooted, holding his shoes. And he was weeping. And he said, I want my marriage back. I want my family back. He said, I've met this couple named Scott and Sherry Jennings. And they canceled at the bridge, and I was wondering if you would go. 
And I said, yeah, I'll go. I walked in to meet her that day, and I walked into Farrell's office. That's where we met. Now, she says I had an attitude. I know none of y'all can believe that this here girl could have an attitude. <laughs> I marched in. I sat on Farrell's brown sofa, and I looked at her, and I said, let me tell you something. I'm not going to take him back unless he changes this, 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 and this. And I had my whole list of things that he needed to change. That he needed to change, not that I needed to change. She wasn't saying much, and then she looked up at me and she said, What if, what if God is more interested in changing you than he is in changing your spouse? What if God is more interested in changing you than he is in changing your spouse? I'll be honest with y'all, I did not receive those words with the love of Christ at that moment. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I wanted to jump off that brown sofa and yank her blonde hair and say, did you not hear just what I said? But weeks followed and the conviction came and God began to stir in my heart. And I was broken. I was so broken. I felt so insignificant, so unheard. I felt like, are we the only Christian people that struggle? Are we the only ones that it seems like our life is falling apart? Because see, we were those, what we call plastic Christians. I would, we would be driving in our little vehicle on Sunday, and I'd be like, y'all better hush, y'all better hush. When we get home, I'm going to tear you up. And then we walk in the door, oh, it is well with my soul, sister. How are you today? <laughs> but deep down, I was hurting. I was broken, feeling insignificant. I met with a client the other day. She had called me up from the pregnancy center. She said, Miss Beverly, I need to meet with you. She says, I'm arguing with my mother, trying to decide if I'm going to give life to this child or not. And she says, we're just in an argument, and I've, I've ran away, and I need you to come pick me up. I picked her up. She got in the car, and I said, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? She says, I'm hungry, Miss Beverly. I said, how about some fries? <laughs> I said, Burger King is right down the street, and girl, they have come out with some new satis fries. They are 40% less fat. Glory. And I said, they are 40, not 30, 50, or 60, and they have got to be biblical because everything in the Bible happens with 40. 40 days this, 40 nights this, 40 days. Girl, we're going to eat some fries. Can I tell you, I share that with you to tell you that when you have people that come into your church, into your life, into your home, maybe it's a prodigal child, and today you're struggling with that prodigal child and you're asking, what happened? What went wrong? Maybe you're a father sitting there and your wife has walked out on you. And you're thinking, what happened? God, do you see what we're going through? I feel so unseen, so unheard. But that young girl began to weep 
And she took her little wrist and she held it out. Took my fingers and I rubbed over the grooves of slip marks on her arms where she had tried to take her life when she found out she was pregnant. We began to weep together and share together. And she said, Miss Beverly, when that didn't work, I threw myself down a flight of stairs to end my life and to terminate that pregnancy. She was feeling unseen, unheard, insignificant. I left my office that day and I went home because I was feeling like as a mother I didn't have it together. The laundry had piled up on me. Now I know none of y'all have laundry. But thank God, honey, when I left home this morning, I have mine down to two piles. One is dirty and one is funky. <laughs> dirty means we could possibly wear it just one more time. <laughs> funky means you better grab a medical mask, put it on, and run as fast as you can. But I sat in that chair and I began to weep. Because I want to tell you something. I don't care how anointed you are, how spiritual you are. You could be a Sunday school teacher. You can be a choir director, a praise team. You could be the pastor. Attacks will come. My Bible tells me in John 10, 10, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants you to feel like you are worthless. I began to weep in that chair, and I'm like, God, I need a word from you. I began to study some things, and I'm going to take you today to a scripture. We're going to go into the book of Genesis 16. Now, in Genesis 15, God has come to Abram. We all know him a lot by Abraham and Sarah. But God has not changed their names. He doesn't do that until like Genesis 17. God has come to Abram and Sarah in Genesis ch chapter uh, 15. And he's told Abram, he said, I'm going to make you a father over a great nation. More than the sands on the seas, more than the stars in the skies. When we get to Genesis 16, we have a problem. Abram or Abraham is 85, uh, it's 10 years past and he still does not have a child still does not have a child. Let's go to Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. The first mistake, they thought their problem was bigger than their God. You see, Sarah, she had already said, the Lord has kept me. That let me know that she knew that God was sovereign. And then we have this but. You ever known people that try to rush things? You know, am I the only one that prays, God, I need you to do this, but God, if you could do it Friday by 535, I would really appreciate that. And you start to rushing, rushing, and getting out of God's will. 
Then we have Hagar, this Egyptian slave who feels very insignificant, very unheard, very unworthy, and she's being thrusted into this situation. Because the custom back there says if you uh, offered up your slave, those could be counted as Abram's children. But that did not please God. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. Well, imagine that. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. You do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Poor Hagar. It was not her idea to be put into this situation. She felt like life was just not fair anymore. Are you sitting there today and because of something in your past or something someone did to you, you're thinking, I don't deserve this. It's just not fair. I just cannot take it anymore. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to shore. How about that? It wasn't just any angel, but it was the very presence of God, the very presence of God. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she said. I got to read in that verse and I'm thinking, really, God? You are the God of the universe. You know everything. You are, he already knew where she was going and what she was running from. What did he do that for? I believe God, I believe God was wanting to pursue a relationship with her. Our God, when we are in our brokenness, he wants to pursue you, to pursue you. But what was Hagar doing? She was fleeing into the wilderness. You ever known people that would flee from their problems? Have you as a mom, have you as a dad just wanted to say enough is enough? It was just like that period in my marriage when I thought the only option was to just run away from it all. To just run away from it all. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. He gave her an instruction, but yet he made her a promise. He made her a promise. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord, listen to this, For the Lord has heard your misery. Can I tell you something? God hears. God hears our moanings and our groanings. 
God hears it when I'm sitting in that chair and I'm thinking, God, I feel so insignificant, so unworthy. God, how are we going to make this car payment tomorrow? God, how are we going to do this? God, I've got this wife. She's walked out on me. God, I've got this child that's going the opposite direction than what they've ever been trained. God hears. God hears. God reassured her that he hears. And then he tells her, you go back. But the difference is this time, you will not be alone. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Do you know she went back even though God was telling her or the Lord was telling her things might get worse. Things might get worse. I still want you to be obedient, but things might get worse. I'm talking to someone today to tell you that you may be struggling with your marriage. You may be struggling with your finances. You may be struggling with your child. You may be struggling with your health. And things might seem to get worse. But God hears he hears. She gave, um, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And then we hear the first name here of God in the, in the Bible. El Roy E, which means you are the God who sees. That is why the well was called Ber Leha Roy E. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old Woo. when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So in verse 15, we see she went back and returned. Above all, she obeyed God. What do you do? What do you do? When everything around you seems like it's falling down, it's crashing down, what do you do? I remember those years ago when we were struggling in our marriage, it was right near a Mother's Day weekend. My son was in the front seat of the car with me, my daughter was in the back, and he began to weep. He began to weep. And I thought, what's wrong? What's wrong? Somebody has said something about him. It's, what's wrong? He said, Mom, I want my family back. And keep in mind, this was right here at Mother's Day. And he looked at me and he said, Mom, what have you become? I wept. I knew, just like Hagar, that I had been running. And out of obedience to God, I needed to go back. I needed to go back. What do you do when it's crashing down? When you feel like nobody cares? I'm going to give you a little acronym today. It's called MOM, Three Steps. 
three things you do because the enemy will come at you and make you feel you are unworthy. Letter M. You got to manage your thoughts. Some of Satan's greatest weapons are psychological. He wants you to feel like you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not qualified, you're not valued enough. He wants to bring you down. He knows if he can destroy you as an individual, he can destroy your marriage, he can destroy your home, with his greatest goal being to destroy the church. You take control of your thoughts. There are times that I have to say, not now, Satan. Take those lies and you throw them back to the pits of hell where they came from. From the pits of hell where they came from. Oh, you've got to be obedient to God, just like Hagar when he tells you to go back. Just like me when God told me, go back to that marriage. You may feel like it's falling apart, but you go back. You've got to be obedient to God. How do we be obedient to God? We've got to pray. And you've got to pray like never before. Can I tell you something? Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. I had a young girl walk into my office recently. And she had come in. She wanted to end her pregnancy. And we bring the girls in, and our goal is to minister to the girls and tell them, hey, there's another way. I sat her down in the chair, and she said, before you say anything, I don't want to hear anything about God. She said, my only concept of God was when I was growing up, she said, I could hear my mother, and she'd pray for something harmful to happen to my father. I asked her, I said, can I take you for an ultrasound so we can see the baby, make sure you're okay, everything's fine, so that I can show these girls there's a heartbeat there. It's not just a blob of tissue. I stood in there with her, and then the father of the baby was over in the corner, and I asked him, now, I said, now, how are you feeling? He said, well, I'm pro-life, but this is her decision. The ultrasound technician, Emily, put the little thing on there, the wand, and then the baby popped up, and you could hear that heartbeat. Boom, boom, boom. Me... I try to touch them and nug at their heart, and the baby popped up there, and I said, <gasps> I looked at the father and said, <gasps> that baby's got your nose. It's got a pug nose just like you. And he began to weep. And then she began to weep. And the whole time we had a prayer team back praying for him, she decided to give that baby life. I'm telling you, prayer will change everything. Part of that obedience to God is you've got to surround yourself with godly people who will lift you up and encourage you. Because how many of you know when you are going through a struggle in your life, there are people out there, they will give you all kinds of advice. Listen to me. If the advice being whispered in your ear if the advice being whispered in your ear is not godly, biblical-based advice, you need to run from it. You need to run from it.
I say we all need some true blue cellulite friends. Now, men don't even know what cellulite is. True blue cellulite friends will hold you accountable, and they will tell you like it is. Just like I went to TJ Maxx and got me a pair of white pants, and I had my girlfriends. Because, you know, it is biblical for girls to go into the bathroom and the dressing room and everything all together in twos and threes and fours. You know, iron sharpens irons. And I put on those white pants, and I looked at my girlfriend. I said, what you think? Do I look good in these pants? Or you think they made my butt, 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 did it make my butt look big? What do you think? You know, because I feel kind of funny in white pants. Well, girl, I would put it to you this way. I love you, Bev, but I can see your cellulite through those white pants. She says, but if you choose to go ahead and get the white pants, don't ever wear them again with red underwear. <laughs> and I was getting ready for the message the other day, and I'm laughing, standing in my mirror, because you replay everything over your head. And I don't know why. I had this fleshly thought, fleshly thought of Pastor Farrell. I can talk about him since he's not here. <laughs> Pastor Farrell and Andy and like Pastor Andy and Scott Jennings over at TJ Maxx standing in the dress room and Farrell saying, Hey Andy, can you see my cellulite through these pants? <laughs> you need godly, biblical, yes I love to make y'all laugh, but you need godly people who will hold you accountable. And it will line up with the Word of God. It will line up with the Word of God. I remember years ago, they had the Pennsylvania miners, and they were trapped in the mine. And they were in frigid, cold, freezing temperatures. And they sensed in their minds that they were going to die. And when they removed them all and they were safe, they asked them, they said, How did you survive? The waters were so freezing cold. How did you survive? And the men would say, when one got cold, when one thought he was going under, like he couldn't take it anymore, like he was going to die, the rest of them would rally around him and blow and do everything they could to keep him warm and say, you can make it, you can do it, you can do this. And that's how they survived. You need those godly people in your life. So out of that obedience, you also remember that your God sees you. You see, I still have those days. Well, and I will stand in front of the mirror. When we first got married, first got married, my self-esteem was so low and had been whipped because of some things in my past. I remember the enemy wanted to attack my mind and say, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, and I chose to believe the lies. But I remember in particularly one day pulling back the shower curtain and seeing a wad of hair where my hair, I had gotten so unhealthy, I was so depressed, I was just gorging on food for comfort. And I looked, and there was just a wad of my hair laying on the drain. And I just began to weep. And the enemy just flooded me with lies. You'll never amount to anything. 
I praise God that he restored that. He restored that. He healed me from that brokenness, took me away from that bondage. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I still have my days. When I was standing behind there a while ago, the enemy came to me all of a sudden. He goes, you going to go out there with them knees looking like that? Now, everybody drawing in on my knees. Go ahead. Go ahead. When I was speaking to him Thursday night at the other campus, I said, go ahead, do a close-up of the knees. And I was totally embarrassed. I had been out in my car before the service praying, and I realized in, you know, fixing everything, getting everything, I had shaved the left leg and had not shaved the right. (laughs) And when I had told them to do that close-up of my knees, I'm like, oh, my love. So totally embarrassed. But the enemy will come at you And you just got to put it aside and get in that obedience by getting in the Word of God, praying, and surround yourself with godly people. The last M, when you're falling apart, when you're feeling like you're not doing a good job as a mom or even as a dad, an aunt, an uncle, even as a human, You remember, he is Elroy E. My God sees me, and he loves me. My God sees me when I'm in that chair weeping, when I'm broken. My God sees that I've brought my son to church today or my daughter today, and I'm worried about them. My God sees me when I'm the one running in that wilderness and I'm like, I've gone too far to turn back now. Don't let the enemy tell you that lie. You can never go too far to where God doesn't want to have that relationship back with you again and pull you back in. Our God loves you. My God sees me. My God hears me. Me. He is our El Roy E. Would you stand with me, please, and bow your heads? I want to pray today. Hallelujah. For that individual who is standing in the audience right now. And you feel like no one cares. You're broken. You've tried to hide the pain. You try to keep it all together when you walk in the doors. But you're broken. That wife has walked out on you and you're standing there as a father and you feel so insignificant. That husband has been attacking you verbally and you feel so unseen, so unheard. You're a college student at college and you've got work on you and you've got deadlines to meet and grades and expectations and you feel like, God, do you even care about me? I feel like I'm going under. You may be feeling like that young girl I was with in my car. 
and you feel like ending your life is the only option. Father God, you are a God who sees me. You are the God who hears me. You hear my moanings. You hear my groanings. You feel, you hear me when I feel insignificant, unworthy, like I can't make it. You see me. Oh God, I pray for the home right now, Father God, that is struggling in their finances. And when they walk out the door, they're like, oh, how will we make it? How are we going to make this payment this month? God, I ask you for divine wisdom. Wisdom how to get out of debt. I pray, Father God, that you will begin to restore checking accounts, savings accounts. Father God, that you will restore homes and place marriages and families back together, Father God. God, for the prodigal child who's gone astray, you'll bring them back home, God. God, I pray for that mom who's feeling insignificant, unseen, and unheard. That father. God, we love you. Help us to realize, Father God, that you are moving in our situation. Even, listen to me, even when we can't see or feel a thing, you are still working in our circumstance. I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you, God, because you are a God who sees me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.